we sing songs like How Great Thou Art. And we're singing it together as a congregation, but it's not so much a song as a confession. Right? When you sing How Great Thou Art, you're... We're not directing that. We're, we're not singing that primarily so that we can tell the person on the pew next to us how great God is. Though it has that benefit you know, when we sing it. Primarily what we're doing when we sing how great thou art is we're addressing that to God. That He is the recipient of that song. You know, when somebody says, oh, I, I don't like singing in church. It might, my my voice my my voice is not all that conducive to singing. Well, the person who gave it to you might beg to differ. That that he enjoys hearing it. That you're when you're singing that song, you're singing it to God. You are confessing to him that your soul sings how great he is. And then when you sing songs like Love Lifted Me, that's that's a testimony. That, that, that's your testimony like you would in court. That, that we, I don't want that to be a churchy word. I don't want that to become a word that we throw out and not really know what it means. We just use it because that's a word that we use in church. A testimony is what you say under oath when you're in court. That is your story as, as you know it to be true. That you can say you were sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore, and ultimately your story ends by saying, when nothing else could help, His love lifted me. But you know what struck me in singing both of those songs this morning is that neither of them ever for a second indicated that we will ever understand all of God's greatness or all of the greatness of His plan. We know that He is great, but which of you would take a stab at explaining exhaustively all of the greatness of God or the greatness of His plan? Anybody feel like taking a stab at it? Explain all of it. What about all of us that could say God's love lifted us out at the very least if you know him lifted you out of your sin but maybe he's lifted you out of a lot more than just sin throughout your life maybe you can point to to situations and circumstances that god has lifted you out of by his love would you feel confident that you could you understand how he moved all those parts together well enough that you could explain them exhaustively is it just me or is god a little bit bigger than us just a little bit? That, that He's a little bit beyond our understanding in terms of how He works everything, right? That presents us some difficulties as, as humans because if you're like me, do any of y'all get unsettled by things that you don't understand? Ever? And yet we use plenty of things that we don't understand every day, right? Who, who in here has a cell phone? Of any variety. Not even a smartphone. It's a cell phone. Okay, do you understand how it works? I asked a bunch of kids this at church camp this summer. Because they asked how the Trinity works. Like, okay, camp pastor. (laughs) Let's go. 
<laughs> How does the Trinity work? Here was my answer. I said, how many of y'all have a cell phone? I do. I said, explain how it works. I said, okay, so you unlock it, and you go to phone, and you type in the number you want to call or the number you want to text. And then I said, no, 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 no. That's explaining to me how to use it. I didn't ask you how to use it. I asked you how it works. I said, what do you mean? I said, what happens when you push the power button? How is the power button somehow connected to a battery? And then what does the battery do? Where does the battery send the power when you turn it on? And when you push the screen, how does the screen know to tell the processor in the phone to send electricity to these places? I want you to explain to me how it works. And they said, well, pastor, we don't know how it works. I said, yeah, but does that stop you from trusting it and using it? Well, no. Okay. Well, there's my answer for the Trinity. I can't explain to you how it works, but that doesn't stop me from trusting and believing in Him. That the Bible tells me this is how it is. It doesn't tell me how it is that way. Y'all, we have a problem sometimes with assuming that for us to be able to trust something, we have to understand it. And y'all... The Bible does not promise you that God is always going to explain why He does or everything He does. Or even it doesn't make the promise that He's going to tell us everything that He's going to do. But every single day, people's faith is shattered and challenged because they have been fed the lie that there is some way for you to figure out everything that God's going to do in your life. Maybe they treat God like He's a gumball machine. I've seen prosperity preachers that do this. If you will just send this seed money to my ministry, which some, for some reason has decided the best time to do ministry is at 2 o'clock in the morning on, tel- on, on infomercial-like television screens. If you will just send this seed money to my ministry, then my prayer team and I will pray over this handkerchief and we will send it to you. And when you are praying for that sickness that you have, you just place that handkerchief on your part of your body and God will heal you. Somehow you can understand the way God works so much that you can can use that to your advantage. Well, guess what happens? They send the seed money and they get the magic hanky and they hold the hanky over wherever they're hurting and they pray and they get done praying and they still hurt. Well, I thought I understood God. I thought you told me that this was how He works, that this was what He was going to do, and then now my faith is shattered because I didn't. I listened to a shady televangelist instead of reading my Bible. The reality is that your Bible makes plenty of promises, but it does not promise you that God is going to divulge the entirety of His plan to you. But it does promise that the entirety of His plan He has divulged to you will come to pass. And that should be enough to comfort us. So that's what we're going to see today. We're going to talk about today about the who being bigger than the what. The who being God and the what being everything that you think He ought to, might do, may do, will do. So if you'll stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Revelation chapter 10 verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to go ahead and warn y'all, this is a real simple sermon. It's, it's, it's easy in delivery, it's hard in practice. Revelation 10, 1 through 7. 
I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Father, I pray that as we read this, you would help comfort us that even though you haven't given us all the information, you have given us all of you, and that's plenty and enough. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The who is bigger than the what? Let me explain what I mean by that. Because this is actually a functional title. This is not something to just remember the sermon by. When I say the who is bigger than the what, uh, I mean having God Himself is enough. That He is not ever going to define to you every single little thing He's going to do. And if you're waiting on Him to do that for comfort and peace, you are not going to have comfort and peace. The way for you to have comfort and peace is to be satisfied in having Him. That's it. Him. Don't look beyond that. There is no beyond that. Having Him is enough. So let's dig into Scripture and see this experience that John had. So in verses 1-4, through four, we see that God hasn't promised to tell you anything. Or tell you everything, rather. John said, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. Now that sounds very similar to Jesus, doesn't it? There's only a couple problems with this being Jesus. I don't think it is. And some commentators do, some commentators don't. They're split. Your pastor doesn't identify this angel as Jesus. I don't think it's ideal to interpret it that way. For one, John has been very consistent throughout the book of Revelation telling us when he sees Jesus, you know it's Jesus. He identifies him as such. He'll refer to him as the Lamb. Or he will address him as God and worship him. And the Lamb will not refuse the worship. That you can tell Jesus when you see Him in the book of Revelation. But very clearly here, John says this is still another mighty angel. That when John describes Jesus, very appropriately, Jesus he doesn't describe Him as still another anything. Jesus is over and above every other heavenly person that John sees. I don't think John has ever... Uh, scripture does not ever talk of God as being, yeah, He's just another one of these. So, it doesn't make sense when He says, still another mighty... Now, He says it's a mighty angel. This is very obviously a very important, very powerful angel that John sees coming out of heaven. And it says he's clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was on His head and His face was like the sun and His feet like pillars of fire. But still, he's just an angel. Now, there's been a lot of angelic activity recently as we go through this book of Revelation, and we're in the middle of what's called the trumpet judgments. Uh, So, 
there have been seven angels given trumpets uh, at the breaking of the seventh seal, the title deed to earth that Jesus has taken. When Jesus opens the seventh seal, seven angels are given trumpets, and every time an angel blows his trumpet in the book of Revelation, something happens. Uh, the, the, the end of the Bible marches on every time a trumpet blows. And we are in between the sixth trumpet, and if you, you were here the last few weeks, the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet were absolutely horrendous. Uh, they were demonic assaults of planet Earth that resulted in billions of people being killed. But there's a pause between the sixth and the seventh, and that's where we are right now. It's this mighty angel descending from heaven, somewhat intimidating to John, um, and it says he has a little book open in his hand. Now, I don't want to talk all that much about the little book right now because we're going to talk about the little book at length next week. But this angel is the one holding this little book. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. <clears throat> the idea here is that this, this angel is huge. He's gigantic. And the idea here is that there is nothing, there is nowhere exempt from what he is about to proclaim. That there is no corner of the earth small enough that, it does, that what he's about to say doesn't apply to it. That his authority, his overwatch as an angel, seems to cover a very, very large area. That this is a mighty angel. He's big. Um, so this is about to apply to the entirety of the earth. And he cries with a loud voice in verse 3. As when a lion roars. Emily and I just saw the Lion King this weekend. The new Lion King just came out. It, it, by the way, if y'all haven't seen it, you owe it to yourself. It's, it's really, really good. Um, but you don't have to have seen the new one to, to know what, to, to have understand the part that I'm about to mention. Any of y'all ever seen the Lion King? Please tell me. Yes! Okay, good. I was about to feel really bad. I was like, this illustration is just going to flop. Uh, there's a, there's a scene in the original Lion King, and this one too, where, where Simba and his little friend, they run off where Simba's dad has told him not to go. And they get surrounded by some hyenas, and the hyenas are about to jump the little tiny boy king before he has grown into his power. And so Simba has been working on his roar, and he's, he's pint-sized right now. Okay, he's about this big. Little, little cute little cub. And so he, he buttons down, and his, his friend is behind him, and he roars and he roars about like a kitten like you'd expect him to you know and, and, and the hyenas they, they laugh because that's what hyenas do they laugh it's a real creepy laugh and one of them goes that's so cute do it again and so Simba rears back little tiny lion cub and he roars and it's this big giant booming terrifying sound and the hyenas go what and they turn around and here's Mufasa his dad this big massive terrifying, powerful creature and just with a swat, whoom, just throws them out of the way and grabs the three that had been threatening his son and, and get them under his face and he gets down and he says, if you ever threaten my son again, we get it, 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 and they're gone. That you can see the hackles on their back go up in fear whenever the lion roars. It's a terrifying sound. One of the commentators that I was reading this week has actually spent the night out in Africa and heard a lion roar in the middle. He said, it's one thing when you hear it on Discovery Channel. It's another thing when you hear it a hundred yards away from you in the middle of the night and you're hoping he stays a hundred yards 
away from you. A lion's roar is terrifying. It's powerful. There's a reason that lions in groups are called prides. is because when you hear it, you know that that lion does not think anything you have is anything comparable to what he's bringing if he decides to come your way. That his cry is not timid. It's not fearful. It's not tentative. It is like a lion's roar. When he opens his mouth, it is authoritative. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. So... If you've never read the book of Revelation, what are you prepared for at this point? You've had seven seals. And you go, okay, there's seven seals. Every one of them is going to open. And I'm going to see what happens. And then you hear there's seven trumpets. Every time one blows, I'm going to see what happens. So now this angel speaks and you hear seven thunders utter their voices. And your instinct might be to think, okay, seven seals, I saw what happened. Seven trumpets, I saw what happened. Seven thunders, I'm going to see what happens. God's going to tell me what's coming. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, this is John. Which this is a really interesting moment. Because it's not often that the writers of Scripture talk about the act of their writing Scripture. You almost forget that they're doing it. Right? That what John's doing is, remember, he's having all of this in a vision. So he's seeing all of this, he's hearing all this, he's experiencing all this... And the only reason we know that is because, you know, he's got, his, he's got his little tablet or whatever he's writing on. He's just writing furiously as this is going on. It's what Jesus told him to do. Write what you see. And so he hears the thunder speak, and he's about to write, But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not Write them. Huh? What in the point of this book to tell me everything that's going to happen? So why on earth would this book not tell me everything that's going to happen? That's defeating the point. Well, no it's not. I know you haven't seen it in a while, but I actually have a name for this series through the book of Revelation. The name for the series is Jesus Wins. That's the point. The point is not for us to know every detail about how He does it. The point is for us to know that He does it. That these seven thunders speak and John's about to write it. Now consider this for just a minute. I didn't put this on your handout because you can flip a couple pages back and see. But Revelation 1.11 is Jesus talking to John at the very beginning of this book. And He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. In other words, I am the boss. There is no one higher than Me. What I say is law. What I say goes. And what do I say? What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches who are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Who was it that told John to write down what he saw? Jesus. So, if anybody were to tell John not to write what he saw, and John actually listened, who has authority higher than Jesus? Nobody does. Jesus is God. So, 
For someone to forbid John from doing something that Jesus told him to do, and John actually listen, who must that voice from heaven have belonged to? God. That God specifically told John. Jesus specifically says to John, what you just heard, you are forbidden to share. And John, uh, I, I like to think, this is speculation, this is not scripture. If you're John, you almost, your human instinct is to protest a little bit, right? Wait a minute, I just heard the... Stop. There's too much else going on. You need to write that. We're not going to revisit this. And so John doesn't tell us. But that's all right, Josh. I'll go through the book of Revelation and eventually we'll find out, won't we? Nope. You never do. The book of Revelation never tells you what the seven thunders said. Well, Josh, how in the world are you going to teach me to apply something that the Bible doesn't say? How do I know what's... That's the application. We don't. We don't know that we tend, we can put ourselves in a really dangerous situation if you look at this book and think it is full, this, this book is going to tell me everything that I want to know about God and His plan. The reality is it doesn't. It tells you everything you need to know about God and His plan. But we have a hard time digesting not having all of the information. The reality is this happens over and over and over in Scripture. In Daniel chapter 12, which by the way bears a lot of similarities to Revelation chapter 10. If you want to get home and and do some interesting reading, go read the 12th chapter of Daniel. Go read Daniel just in general. But you will find a lot of similarities between Daniel 12 12 and Revelation 10. That Daniel also sees a mighty angel. Uh, And Daniel, they have this conversation. And verse 8, Daniel says, Although I heard, I didn't understand. Then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? In other words, Daniel looks at the angel and goes, I don't understand. Where's all this going? How's this going to, how does this end? You haven't given me all of the information. The angel says, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Daniel's never given an answer. What about this? I'm going to study the book of Revelation so that I'm going to find out when Jesus is going to come back. How many of y'all have ever seen or heard someone who claimed to know when Jesus was going to come back? I've said this before behind this pulpit. I I even read a history of books that claimed to know the year in which Jesus was going to return. And they sold hundreds of thousands of copies the first time, hundreds of thousands of copies the second time when the first one proved wrong. And then about the third time the sales started to dwindle. Because people started figuring out, oh, they don't actually know 
Matthew 24, 36 says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That Jesus specifically said, nobody is going to know the day of my return. It's going to be like a thief in the night. Now, do y'all put on your, on your family calendars, do you put the their, thieves are going to try and break into my house on you know, August 27th? Do you do that? No, it's completely unexpected. You have no way of knowing. In fact, a thief makes a point of not telling you when he is coming. Jesus makes a point of telling you God is not going to tell you. You can see general signs that the day is getting closer, but you're not, if anyone ever claims, I've figured it out, the Bible tells you they're wrong because nobody's going to know. That information has been withheld from us. It's even been withheld from the angels. And then here's a great one for you. How many of y'all would love to know what it's like in heaven? Anybody? Are you curious? Yes! I would love to know what it's like in heaven. And I know lots of other people in the United States would love to know uh, what it's like in heaven too. Because, you know, an 11-year-old has a quote-unquote near-death experience and then he wakes up and next thing you know, his book's a New York Times bestseller. They make a movie out of it. You remember that? You remember that thing that happened, you know, a year or two ago? It's, it's one in a long string of people who claim that they died and they temporarily went to heaven or they temporarily went to hell and they came back and they tell you what things are like there and they sell lots and lots of books and they get TV deals and they make lots and lots and lots of money and then later on you find out, oh, I was just actually just making it up. You want to know why I instinctively doubt those stories every time I hear them? 2 Corinthians 12, 3 and 4. Now this is Paul. He's talking about himself. Okay, If you read the entirety of chapter 12 and the chapters that surround it, it makes sense that he's talking about himself. He's being a little bit sarcastic right now when he says, I know a man. But in context, when you read it with everything, I don't have time to read all those chapters. But suffice to say, Paul is talking about himself here. Okay? And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise. Paul got snatched up into heaven and saw it at one point. Why doesn't he tell us what it's like? And heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for man to utter. God forbade him. From telling us what he saw and what he heard. The reality is that Scripture never promises that we're going to know everything. It promises in glory we'll know more than we know now, but it doesn't promise in this life, on this earth, God is going to tell us everything that we prefer to know. He's not going to tell us uh, whether or not we're going to get cancer. He's not going to tell us if we get it, how it's going to end. He's not going to tell us what's going to happen when we lose a job. He's not going to tell us when we're going to get a job. He's not going to tell us how long it's going to be before we see growth in the church. He's not going to tell us how long 
it's going to be before that person you've been praying for comes to Christ. He's not going to tell you if that person's going to come to Christ. He's not going to tell you what's going to happen with your kids. He's not going to tell you what's going to happen with your grandkids. He's not going to tell you whether or not this good thing's going to happen or this bad thing's not going to happen. Scripture doesn't promise He's going to tell you that. And my job as pastor is to protect your faith and to shepherd your souls, right? I don't want you to ever fall into a situation where you feel like God has let you down or God has duped you because you expected Him to tell you something or clue you into something that Scripture never promised He was going to. Okay? Does that make sense for me to say that? Now, wait a minute, Josh. Are you telling me I can't trust Him? Absolutely not. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, it is a dangerous position for us to be in, and it actually kind of diminishes our faith in God to expect Him to tell us everything. What I mean? Well, when you expect God to tell you everything, why do you want to know that? Why does having more knowledge make you feel more comfortable with something? Might it have to do a little bit with control? The more we know about something, the more in control of something we feel. I mean, am I the only one that feels that way? That the more I know about something... In fact, have you ever heard somebody say they know just enough to be dangerous? You ever heard somebody say that? We used to joke about that at the hardware store that I worked at. That we knew just enough about everything we sold to be dangerous. But man, we were not electricians. We were not plumbers. We were not engineers. (laughs) We could sell all the parts that those people needed to do those jobs. And so, because we had that little extra bit of information, we felt like we had more control over something than we actually did. And as a result, when we started tinkering with it, we would blow something up. Or there would be a giant leak. Or something would not be put together correctly. The reality was, the engineers would come in, the electricians would come in, the plumbers would come in, and they would say, I'm doing this, give me this. And we may not understand why they needed all those parts. We may not understand how they were doing what they were doing, but... All we knew was we got to trust them to do the job right because they are not required to give us all the information to do their job. Y'all, Scripture doesn't promise that God's going to give us all the information. Satan loves to tempt people with hidden knowledge. He loves to tempt people with hidden knowledge. Think back to the Garden of Eden. What did he tempt Eve with? Knowledge. Oh, I know why God doesn't want you to eat from that tree. It's not because you're going to die. You're not going to die. The reason God doesn't want you to eat from that tree is because He's holding out on you. He wants you to have the knowledge that only He has. He doesn't want you to have the knowledge that only He has. So you eat from that tree and you'll be made wise. In fact, you'll be like God. You'll know the things He doesn't want you to know. Now that wasn't true. 
But there's a reason it was an effective temptation. We want to know. We want to possess that knowledge. Y'all, if God hasn't told us something, He has a very good reason. If God did give you hidden information, what exactly would you do with it? Y'all, most of the time we're like dogs chasing fire trucks. If we caught it, we wouldn't know what to do with it. What good would it do us if we knew what the seven thunders said? What what would you do with it? What good would it do you if God told you how you were going to die? What would you want to do with it if you knew it? Would you try and undo it? If God doesn't want to tell you something, ask Eve this. If God doesn't want you to have something, is it, a re- is it really a good idea to try and sneak around behind His back and get it? And if He has forbidden you from knowing something, is it even possible to find that out? He's God. There's no possible way to beat Him. It's safer... Just to trust God and to trust that He has as much of a reason for not speaking as He has for speaking. Guys, you're not going to know everything. Ladies, you're not going to know everything. Well, Josh, that raises my stress level a lot because I need to know. No, you don't. You don't. Well, you don't understand. If I don't know, how do I know things are going to be okay? Second point of the sermon. So God hasn't promised that you're going to know everything. But God has promised to fulfill what He has promised. Look at verse 5. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever. Which, by the way, this is another reason I believe it's not Jesus. Because in the Bible, when God swears, He swears by one thing. Do you know what that is? Himself. If you go read the Old Testament, God says, literally, He says, I swear by Myself. Why? Because there's nothing higher to swear by than Himself. So if this angel is is swearing by Him who lives forever and ever then he's swearing by someone higher than himself. There is no one higher than Jesus. So he swore by him who lives forever and ever and who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, that's his trumpet, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. Now, I want to talk about mystery for a second because when you hear the word mystery, you think something different than John thinks. We actually stole the word mystery directly from Greek. It's a cognate. That just means it's a word that came over exactly like it was. The word mystery in Greek is the word mysterion. It's exactly the same word. But when you think of a mystery... Think about a mystery movie or a mystery book or even the... uh, Y'all ever play Clue, the board game? I love Clue. I'm so bad at it. Emily's really good at it, though. Um, 
The, re- the, the point of playing Clue is you've got the little envelope in the middle and you try and figure out who, who committed the murder, but you know at the end of the game you're going to, ha- you're going to find out who done it. Right? Whether it's a book or a movie or a game, a mystery we think of as who done it. And the point of the entertainment is to find out. But we think of the mystery as the not knowing. Say, oh, well, it's just a mystery. And we just leave it at there. You say, it's something we don't know. Well, that's not really the Greek definition. The meaning of, this is from uh, the Lexham Theological Word Book, the meaning of mysterion is not the same as that of the English mystery. The Greek word does not indicate something that is mysterious. Instead, it refers to something that was previously unknown, but that God has revealed to His people, though not necessarily to the world at large. Jesus' use of the word in Matthew 13, 11 illustrates this. To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries or mysterion of the kingdom of heaven, but to those people it has not been granted. So in, in Greek thought, a mystery can actually be something that you know. You can already know something and it still be a mystery. Why? Because it was knowledge that was concealed but has now been revealed. It has a meaning that you did not know before, but you do know now. And what mystery did the angel say would be finished? In verse 7. The mystery of what? The mystery of God. Have you ever considered the fact... You know, when people say, well, I don't... I don't you know, what miracles are in the Bible? Let's start with the Bible. Have you ever considered that the Bible itself is a miracle? Do you understand what this book is? Now we say it's the Word of God. But the Word of God to what end? This book is God's self-revelation. What do I mean when I say self-revelation? How much of God would you know if it, were not for the, if it weren't for this book? You would, now, the Bible itself does tell us that without this book, you would be able to figure out that God exists, and you would be able to figure out that He's good. You would be able to figure out those two things. But without this book, you would not know the Trinity. You would not know God's moral law. You would not know Jesus Christ. You would not know the Holy Spirit. You would not know God's opinion, plan. You would not know His roadmap for the history of humanity. You would not know prophecy. You would not know the history of His dealings with humanity. You wouldn't know any of that. God Himself is a mystery. Knowledge that we would not have had, but that He uncovered Himself for us. And this book explains the general roadmap ending in the book of Revelation. This is where all of it is going. This is the end. This is the the final destination that human history is heading toward. And this angel says there will be no delay in the fulfilling of the mystery of God just as He gave it to the prophets. 
Ever since God has started interacting with humanity, God has started telling His prophets all the way back to Adam and Eve. Yes, how do we know that? Well, because Adam and Eve passed along what God told them to their children. That God said, yes, you're going to die, but one day you're going to bear a son. And the snake is going to nip at his heels, but your son is going to finally crush this snake's head. That's prophecy, y'all. That's a promise that one day there's going to be a son, and he's going to deliver you from the curse that you're under. And as you go through your Bible, God continually reveals more and more and more and more and more of himself. Does he reveal everything? No. There is not a chapter and verse you can flip to in which God says, and here's the chapter on what happens with, with uh, Billy Bob and his children. You being Billy Bob and wanting to know what happens with your children. That doesn't exist in the Bible. You don't have your own page where you can turn to and read all of your story. But what God does give you, and He says, here's what's happening with, with my son. Here's what's happening with the human race. Here's what's happening with the people that I have called to myself. Here's what's going to become of them. Here's what's going to become of everyone that rejects me. Here's what's going to happen in the end. He does tell you that. Now, if this book is about God primarily, this is about the revelation of the mystery of God, all the plans are whose plans? God's. I'm not promised to know everything that God is going to do, but do you know what this book does promise me I can know? The one who's going to do it. That Scripture doesn't promise me I'm going to know everything God's going to do, but it does promise me I'm going to know the God who's going to do it. Colossians 2, 1 through 3 says, For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When you don't know what's going to happen with your body, don't worry about what's going to happen with your body. Worry about God. When you don't know what's going to happen with your job, don't worry about what's going to happen with your job. Worry about God. When you don't know what's going to happen with your kids, this sounds crazy, especially as I'm a parent, but don't worry as much about what happens with your kids as you worry about God. You trust Him, you obey Him, you be faithful to Him, and you trust that He's going to handle the rest, and you'll come out all right. Now that might not mean you end up where you would have preferred to end up in terms of this earthly life, but I promise you, you will end up wherever you are, God will be right there with you. It's better to trust in a who than it is to trust in a what. God is a who. He is a person. He cares about you. He loves you enough to have sent His own Son to pay the price for your sins so that you could be safe with Him for eternity. Is that the kind of God that merits your trust? Even if you don't know all of His plans, if you know the kind of person He is, then you know what kind of plans He's going to make. You don't have to know everything.
Well, Josh, that's going to cause me stress. That's going to cause me anxiety. How do I cope with not knowing? Where do I find my peace if I don't know what? Ephesians 2.14. This is on your handout. For He Himself is our what, church? He is our peace. That There is enough in knowing Him that you don't need to know anything else. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture is the blind man that Jesus healed. And the council calls him in. And they say, give glory to God. Who healed you? He goes, I don't know who it was. It was that man over there. Well, we don't know. Why are you asking me this? Do you want to be his disciples as well? We are disciples of Moses, but this man, we don't know who he is. We don't know where he came from. And the little uneducated, formerly blind man starts laughing at the professional scholars of the council. And he says, this is amazing. You mean I was blind and he gave me his sight and you don't know who he is? Who this guy is, where he came from, whether or not he's the sinner you just told me he is, I don't know. The one thing I know is that he is the man who gave me my sight. I was blind and now I see. So I don't know anything else about him, but I do know that if I can find him, that's the man I want to hitch my wagon to. And y'all, that ought to be every single one of our story. I don't know every single detail of God's plan. I don't know what He's got coming in my life and Emily's life and Margaret's life. I don't know what He's got coming in your life. I don't know what He's got coming in the life of Stapleton Baptist Church. I don't know what He's got coming in the life of the United States of America. I don't know what He's got coming in terms of the world, in terms of politics and economy and all that. I have no clue. All I know is that I was once blind, but now I see. I know that He saved me. I know that He forgave me. I know that He adopted me. I know that He loves me. I know that He values me. I know that He is the the name above all names. That He is the ultimate authority. That there is not a voice in the cosmos that can speak with more authority than His. And I belong to Him. And He loves me. I am His and He is mine. And you can't do anything to stop that. So I don't need to know everything else. I don't need to know the what because I know the who. And that's peace. That's peace I have. That's peace you can have. Do you know if you have been struggling over I need to know the what, I need to know the what, I need to know the what, the solution for your worry is not to know the what, it's to know the who. Who?